Hey everyone, this is Noah Randolph, teaching pastor here at Wayfarers Christian Church. Um, This sermon was preached on Easter Sunday by Nick Griffin, our uh, head pastor here at the church. Unfortunately, um, when we were reading the scripture, the recording um, fizzled out, and so I'm going to have to re-record the scripture passage for this sermon. Um, He read the whole of chapter 61 of the book of Isaiah, um, and it was really powerful just to kind of hear the whole chapter. So um, strap in, I'm going to read that chapter for you guys, and then we can get into the uh, sermon. This is chapter 61 of the book of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities. They have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people that the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness, and praise spring up before all nations. Powerful words. All right, here is the sermon from Easter Sunday. Yeah. I've learned a lot more about the chapter since then. <laughs> There's a lot of th- different things, different a different angle I want to take on it that I wanted to kind of help you guys uh, understand a little bit today. But the biggest reason I wanted to do this chapter is because this is the chapter that Jesus quotes to start his ministry. In the book of Luke, after Jesus has gotten done being tempted by the devil, he goes into a synagogue, he opens up a scroll, And he reads this chapter. Easter Sunday is about the good news of the gospel. When Jesus has to quote what is the good news that he is bringing, this is the chapter that he uses to quote it. So I figure it's the best thing to focus on on Easter Sunday, right? How did Jesus define the good news? So let's pray and then we'll jump in. 
Lord, thank you so much for how good the news is that is presented in this chapter. And I ask, Lord, that you would just help me to be able to open it up, help it be able to penetrate down into our hearts, help this good news be something that would motivate us to seek you further and to bring people to you so that they can know this good news as well. All this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Reagan likes to make fun of me, and I guess Noah, but mostly me, for lots of things. But one of the things that she likes to make fun of me about is that I always talk about this coffee shop I used to work at. And I never, like, I never reference what it was called. Everyone in the room knows what the coffee shop was called, so from now on, I'm just going to go by name. <laughs> so, Avenue Coffee, the coffee shop that I used to work at. I used to have this really funny... It's kind of sad, but kind of funny experience that I used to have a lot. Um, there's a, a discipleship ministry in town that's really, really cool. They do a lot of really cool things. But one of the things that is required for members of this discipleship ministry is that they're supposed to present the gospel to one person once a week for the entire like six months that they're in this discipleship program. And a lot of these people used to come hang out at Avenue because we were all Christians, it was a Christian coffee shop, and they were like, all right, I can like meet my gospel presentation quota here at the coffee shop. And it's really sad because I used to, as the barista, just have to sit there behind the coffee, sh uh, the bar, and I just cringed all the time as I would hear these people, these poor people, try to explain the good news of the gospel. And, you know, they never said anything wrong. It was very formulaic, you know, like, you're a sinner, sin separates you from God. You need to have forgiveness for your sins to be able to get to God. You guys have heard the typical gospel presentations. But I just remember hearing this over and over and over again from all these discipleship people would come into our shop, try to bring some unsuspecting uh, college kid in. We were by the University of Memphis, and I would just feel so bad for the other guy, the other girl who was sitting across the table because they were all like, yeah, I've heard this before. I, this is not news to me. I've heard this before. And th there's a reason they haven't decided to accept it yet. And I would say of all of the gospel presentations I heard from these people in the discipleship group, I don't know that I ever heard anybody respond with, oh, yeah, I'd like to accept that good news. That's good news. They were always really polite. They were always really awkward. <laughs> it was always really cringy. But then they would just kind of go their separate ways. <laughs> and ever since that moment, I have just been struggling with how is there a way to present the good news of the gospel to people who feel like they may have already heard it, but that can actually motivate them to accept Jesus, to realize how good this news really is. And I still haven't got a good glimpse of it. I, I still haven't got a, I don't got a, I don't have a formula for you guys today, I guess, on 100% guarantee this will bring people to Jesus. I don't, I haven't figured that out. But I did, uh, I did get a glimpse of it one time. Uh, I used to, I've also mentioned this before, I used to work, I interned at a big mega church in Florida for a year, in Orlando, Florida. It was called Real Life Christian Church. And there was one guy that came to share at Real Life Christian Church. Um, I've got a picture up, if you can throw it up, Dante. Uh, it's the... Yeah. This guy's name is Wassam Al-Athawi. <laughs> Say that three times quick. You know, you're going to remember that. Wassam al <laughs> This guy, he came to speak at Real Life, Real Life Christian Church. I would encourage you guys, 
If you want to go hear his message, look it up. Just look up Real Life Christian Church in Orlando and Wissam, W-I-S-S-A-M. There's probably only one thing that's going to come up if you search that exact series of things. And you can hear his testimony a little bit. But when I tell you that this testimony has just radically... You guys, I think, don't understand how much his testimony has shaped a lot of what we do here at Real Life. At Real Life. <laughs> it shaped it at Real Life, what we do here at Wayfarers. His, um, when I heard the way that this man came to Jesus, I caught a glimpse of what that maybe presentation of the gospel could look like. You see, Wassam grew up in Iraq, in Baghdad. He was a Muslim, and uh, he was somebody who grew up in the middle of all of the craziness with the Iraq war, with everything going on. He was somebody that grew up just right in the middle of all of that as a Muslim. And he is one of the only people I've ever met who uh, came to know Jesus just through reading the Bible. <laughs> it was very, very interesting. He, had, he hadn't really met a Christian he had decided for various reasons that Islam was not the way that he wanted to follow. There were just all kinds of answers that he could not find in Islam for the questions that he had in his life. And uh, through a series of circumstances, he ended up finding a Bible coming to faith. And in fact, he, reading through the Bible, decided he wanted to believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, and get baptized, because that's what the people in the Bible did. Again, he did not know any Christians. He's in the middle of Iraq. So he told the story, he literally filled up his bathtub with water, went and sat in it, and baptized himself, just dunked himself <laughs> in the water, baptized himself as his way to, to just accept the message of Jesus. His story is incredible. I really do encourage you guys, sometime this week, go look it up. It's on the uh, page for Real Life Christian Church in Orlando. But there, there was, I, I told you guys, I caught a glimpse of something that I was just like, wow, this is, this is a cool way to present the gospel. So if we can go to the next slide, Dante, this is the, uh, this is the way that Wassam explained uh, kind of the value. These are the things that humans care about the most. This is, this is in his own language. He got it from several philosophers. He got it from C.S. Lewis, so you know it's good. But he, got, <laughs> um, he said, uh, in order, order one, two, three, this is what humans need. Number one, we need truth. Number two, we need goodness. Number three, we need beauty. We need it in that order. But we don't go about seeking it in that order. We actually, most of the time, will seek beauty first, then goodness, and then truth. He said one of the problems is that Christians reverse that order when we try to present the gospel, and we start straight with truth. Let me tell you about the gospel truth. Let me tell you about the, the lies, the deception that Satan has got you. Let me tell you the truth. We start with the head up here. Let me tell you the truth and let me convince you of it. But people aren't convinced of it because they have not been convinced of the goodness or of the beauty of the gospel. you got to take it in order. Beauty, goodness, and truth. And the reason I have loved this passage in Isaiah is because I think it perfectly sums up all of those things. There's several verses in this passage that I think just show it, the beauty, the goodness, and the truth of the gospel. So today I want to take you through that. We're going to jump around a little bit. Feel free to have the, the chapter pulled up um, as we jump, and I'm just going to kind of go through different verses. But all of these concepts are contained in the very first verse um, 
of Isaiah uh, 61 in, in verse 1. So let's start here first with beauty. Let's put up the, the slide for beauty. I want you guys to have a few things in mind when we're talking about beauty. There's a Greek term. This is a Greek philosophy thing, this beauty, goodness, truth thing. So you guys are going to get to learn some Greek today and some Hebrew later. The first Greek word is pathos. This is the one that's connected with beauty. You guys say pathos with me. Repeat pathos. 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 <laughs> Noah's like, we got to get the correct pronunciation here. Come on, guys. There's lots of things connected with this idea of pathos, but when you are convincing somebody using pathos, using beauty, you are connecting to the desires of their heart. You're connecting to their emotions. You're connecting to their heart. See, lots of times uh, there's this famous phrase I hear people say all the time, facts don't care about your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. It's something that a lot of people like to share. It shouldn't matter. The facts is all that should matter. I really don't think that's true. I really don't think that's true for God, especially. God made us with feelings. God made us with emotions. God does not want us to remove our emotions. And I think in this chapter, we see this. We see the emotions in it. So let's put up verse 1. I just highlighted a thing here uh, in, in verse 1. Jesus starts, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. The good news of the gospel, the way Jesus starts the good news, binding up the brokenhearted. Listen to the poetry of this chapter. Listen to the way that it connects with so many emotions. Let's look at verse 3, 61 verse 3. Um, he says that he sent me to provide for those who grieve in Zion, grief, to bestow on them a crown of beauty and beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. Or maybe verse 7. Look at verse 7. Look at what verse 7 says here. Let's go one more here, Dante. Yeah. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, listen to the emotional words here, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Or even look at here, verse 10 of this chapter. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. And as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Let's go one more, Dante. Oh, it's not the end of that verse. Yes, we won't go one more. Go back a little bit. Let's go back to that one about the bridegroom. Adorns his head like a priest, and his bride adorns herself with jewels. Like I said, notice the emotional language that's used in this chapter. Notice the way that the prophet connects to our emotions. He connects to joy. He connects to despair. He compares uh, beauty versus ashes, joy versus mourning, praise versus despair. This is something that's really impacted me as I've been reading through Isaiah, as I've been listening through the Boring Bible and just trying to like really connect with it. <laughs> Have you guys ever noticed how, how amazing it is that the Lord of the universe chooses to communicate to us in poetry, 
in things that connect to our heart, to our emotions. He doesn't say, here's an essay on the, on the things that you should know about beauty. He connects to our heart, to our emotions. And I especially love this last verse here because it talks about uh, a wedding. It's got this wedding imagery. The beauty of a wedding, the, the beauty of love that is displayed between a bride and a bridegroom. It's a, it's a thing that the Lord goes to constantly to talk about his relationship with us and the relationship that the church should have with him. And it is beautiful. It's beauty that he's using to draw people in. It's beauty, it's love, it's emotions. You see, I think our culture, unfortunately, has a hard time, like, earnestly and honestly and sincerely loving something. We've always got to do it, like, ironically, sarcastically, we can't, you know, it's like cheesy to like rom-coms, you know? I don't, I don't love rom-coms. I, 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 just, I just enjoy them. They're funny. They're sarcastic. It's, it's, it's just not something that I can't just like put my whole heart in. I don't want to admit to people some of the things that I love. It, even just look at the way we talk about love, the way we use the word love. We always introduce other little phrases into it. We'll change it to, I love ya, or I love you, man, or I love you, bro. How weird would it be if you walked up to somebody at church and you just said, I love you, sincerely, honestly. No jokes, no sarcasm, just pure beauty, emotion represented in that. This is the thing that I think we are missing as Christians. I think so many Christians are are heartless. We are known as people who just do not connect with the heart Do not connect with the emotions. That beauty is the thing that initially draws people in. With Psalm, uh, like I said, this is all coming from him. He shared a really funny way that beauty drew him into the gospel. He was really into movies. He loved movies. He loved the like awesome movies and the beauty of the artistry in movies. He loved American movies especially and loved to watch a lot of them. And um, (laughs) the movie that ultimately really connected him with God is one I think you would probably never guess. It was Mission Impossible. Tom Cruise, the Scientologist, led, uh, <laughs> led with Psalm to the Lord. The very first Mission Impossible movie, in that movie, he loved it. He thought it was awesome. And there's a scene in it where the main character, Ethan Hunt, reads from the book of Job. And he was just like, it just caught him. The beauty of that passage, the poetry of what was quoted there, it just caught his emotions, it caught his attention. So much so that he then went into the local market and was able to buy a Bible for the first time and start reading it. He said he feels like he needed to start by knocking on people's door and say, have you guys heard of the gospel of Ethan Hunt of Mission Impossible? (laughs) It was the beauty of these movies and the beauty of the poetry in Job that initially drew him in. But then, like I said, beauty has to lead to goodness. And that's the second thing. So let's go to the next slide about goodness here, Dante. So goodness, the Greek word here is ethos. Say ethos with me. Ethos. Ethos. <laughs> ethos has to do with authority, with trustworthiness, with justice, especially. 
Again, let's go to the very first verse, 61.1. Let's pull that back up again, Dante. It should be the next slide here. Notice the justice, the authority that Jesus represents in this. 61.1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives. The justice of the Lord is something that I see all the way through this verse. The very next verse, 61.2, it, it comes through the most clearly. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. On the Boring Bible episode about this, Noah was saying how it's interesting that actually in Luke, uh, the day of vengeance is not included. <laughs> that the, Luke is just like, ah, let's save that for later. They can read it on their own. We don't need to put that in here. The day of vengeance of our God. It doesn't sound like good news. But notice, what does the vengeance of our God do? It comforts all who mourn. That's what the vengeance of the Lord does. You can see it in other verses here. Look at 61.8. It says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. I think a lot of the reasons that people have a hard time accepting the gospel is because the world isn't fair. Life's not fair. The people, evil people, seem to get away with things. And unfortunately, many within the church are just as responsible for bringing that injustice on uh, others. And that injustice is just something that keeps people away from the gospel. They're like, how can I believe in a God that just lets this kind of stuff happen? I've been re increasingly learning that that's not the case, actually. <laughs> Everything will be made right. Everybody is going to get what they deserve. That's what the Lord says over and over and over again. Judgment day is the day when all of the evil of the world will be made right. People do not get away with the evil that they have done. Now, obviously, you may say, well, I don't know. Am I going to get judged for the things that I've done? Obviously, we know the good news of the gospel is the forgiveness that we find in Jesus. But how does that forgiveness come? Through repentance, through a contrite heart, through turning away from the things that we have done. Lots of times we get so upset at the gospel because we feel like everyone's just going to get away with it. Does this mean that it's just everybody gets forgiven for all of the bad things that they've done? <laughs> but the forgiveness that God extends to us is to those of us who have taken the time to acknowledge, oh yeah, I have hurt people. I have been guilty of sin. The people who have not done that, the people who do not acknowledge their sin, who have not turned away from it, they will be judged for what they do. You can bank on it. An everlasting covenant is what the Lord says. It's something that you can trust in. And ultimately, this is something that, can re that really can convince you of the goodness of God. Wassam said that he noticed this when he was reading through the scriptures, and he saw the way that, um, that Jesus confronted the religious leaders of his day. Wassam said, growing up in Islam, you were not allowed to question the imam. 
his, his whole life, they were saying, you just don't, that's the man of God. You don't question him. You don't say anything to him, even if he's got it wrong. Wassam was a smart guy. He knew what some of the Quran said. If this guy, even if he was saying it wrong, it doesn't matter. You don't question him. He's the imam. You don't question the religious leaders. And he was just so taken by the goodness of Jesus and that he was going to call him out. He was going to call him out on everything they did, even the religious leaders, even the teachers of the law. He held them to account. He told them, that's not right. That's not true. The justice of God was present in the, in the way that he would call them to account for things. And he said that that just, that just drew him in. It was not only this beautiful poetry, this beautiful goodness that he saw in the Bible, but it was, it was truly, truly good. I told you guys you would learn a little bit of Hebrew here as well. So... There's a Hebrew word for goodness. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Tov. 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 <laughs> this word has come to mean a lot to me because it's actually the root of my son Toby's name. Uh, the, in, in the Hebrew, his name would be Toviah. Yah as in like Yahweh, the Lord. Tov, the Lord is good. You take that Hebrew thing. You translate it into Greek, you get Tobias. That's where Toby comes from. Tobias. This idea of goodness, Tov, this is something that permeates the entire Bible. It's, it goes all the way to Genesis, actually. The, the knowledge of good and evil, the good there is Tov. And it's this thing that runs kind of all the way through. You see it come up over and over and over again. I don't have time to do a word study on the, on the word tov. <laughs> but here's how I would define it. And this is how I've started to define it. It's goodness that everyone can see. It's something that's good and that everybody looks at it, every single person, whether Christian or not, it doesn't matter who they are, they look at it and they're like, that's good. That is good. I can acknowledge that that's good. We can all acknowledge that that's good. There's an author named Scott McKnight who wrote a book. It's a church called Tov. If you want the full word study on the, on the word, check out his book. I really recommend it. But I love this quote he has here from that book, A Church Called Tov. He says, yes, the church is part of the good news of Jesus, and the church proclaims the good news of Jesus. But when, when men and women have only seen churches formed by unhealthy power, celebrity, competitiveness, secrecy, and self-protection, our corporate ecclesial life belies the truth of the gospel. The church can only witness to the truth of Jesus by seeking justice, serving with humility, operating transparently, and confessing and lamenting failures. This is how he defines Tov. It's, it's this idea of total transparency, of seeking the justice of God, of serving with humility. Things that other people will be able to look at and be like, oh yeah, that's good. <laughs> I can acknowledge that that's good. I may not agree with some of the things that they say, but I can see the goodness in that it's apparent to everybody. I think sometimes we've gotten just convinced the church, you know, the scriptures talk about that, like the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. And we're convinced that the gospel is just going to not make sense to people in the world. And so we have convinced ourselves that um, it's just us against them. And unless God does something supernatural, they're not going to accept the gospel. <laughs> I don't know that that's true. 
I've continued to see over and over and over again the goodness, the justice, the authority of God is something that everybody should be able to see. But as Scott McKnight says here, this goodness ultimately is the thing that leads us to truth, the thing that we need the most. But again, I think we got to do it in this order. So again, let's put up the word truth here. And this is a Greek word you guys are going to be familiar with, the logos. This word is the, the Greek word philosophically connected with this idea of truth. It's the word we get logic from. It comes from that word. It's the word that is translated word in John. And it's the word that's connected with, with truth and with, uh, with the mind in a lot of ways. Unfortunately, like I said, most Christians start here. We want to start with just like rationality, reason, logic, all that kind of stuff. I think you've got to build to it. Beauty, goodness, and ultimately, you get to truth. So let's look again at Isaiah 61.1 and see where we can find truth in it. 61, Isaiah 61, verse 1. Should be the next slide. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. There's an interesting um, textual variant. If you look at the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, what it actually has written here is release from darkness for the blind. <laughs> the logos, the truth of God, is connected with the light of God. John starts his gospel by talking about the logos, and then he gets into all this kind of really cool stuff about light. I've talked about it before in a couple of my sermons, if you want to go back and let's see about some of that light versus darkness and some of the things that come from light, the light of the gospel and the way that it, is, it helps the blind to see. But I, uh, look, I was just looking at it, and I noticed uh, something that I've never noticed in this passage. And I'm kind of ashamed that I've never noticed it. Um, and I think I have to thank Noah for it. He preached a sermon, not using this chapter, but talking about this idea. And it just uh, it like made everything click for me. And it's actually at the very first two lines of this verse. Notice how this is how Jesus starts it. This is how Isaiah starts it. This is how I think we get to that truth that helps blind people see. The Holy Spirit is often connected with the, with the logos, the thing that makes the blind people see the light. Uh, in like more Calvinist circles, people talk about the Holy Spirit is the one that helps you see, that makes the blind to see. It's this idea, the Spirit's the one that's got to do it. And this is how Jesus starts his ministry. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me. That anointing is another word that's connected to the Spirit to proclaim good news to the poor. I've started to notice the centrality of the Holy Spirit in being able to present the good news. When Noah talked about the centrality of the Holy Spirit in one of his sermons, he talked a lot about the way that the Spirit can, can speak to each of us and help each of us understand um, what God wants us to do. And it's something that I think we don't take advantage of enough, the fact that God himself is within you. 
But I always kind of had, uh, maybe it's just from not growing up in charismatic circles. Maybe it's from being a more logical-minded, rational person myself. Um, I always had a hard time with that because I was just like, what does that even mean? Like, what does that even look like, you know? Like, people, I would talk to people all the time and be like, how do you know that the Spirit is the one that's talking to you? The Spirit's the one that's telling you this. And they would be like, I just know, man. Like, the vibes are just right. I just know when it's the Spirit. I know. Um, and I was like, I, I don't. I have to be honest. I don't sometimes. I don't know if it's my anxiety. Am I just worried about something? Is it in my head? Is it the Spirit of God that's telling me, don't do this? Or is it just is it just my anxiety? I don't know. I can't tell the difference sometimes. <laughs> and so I've, I, I just always struggle to see what's, what's the point of this? What's the value of this? And it made sense to me as I was reading through John. Um, there's, a, there's a chapter in John chapter 16 where Jesus is explaining that the Spirit needs to come. He's talking about the fact that he's going to go away. And he's talking about the, 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 the thing that's going to come because he goes away. And he tells them, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Today on Easter, on Resurrection Sunday, it's one of the days when I most remember, you know, just the, the amazingness of the resurrection of Jesus resurrecting bodily. And I don't know about you, but for the longest time, I always, I wished Jesus was still here. I was like, he resurrected. Why did he have to then ascend? Because now, whenever I try to tell people that Jesus resurrected, I can't just like point to the body and say, look, there he is. Go talk to him. There was a stretch of a few days after his resurrection where a lot of people could do that. They could just say, go look at him. Go talk to him. He's right there. Look at him there. But Jesus went away. He ascended up into heaven. And so, to be honest, what it feels like sometime to me, I don't know if you guys ever had, like, a friend in school or somebody you knew that would come to you and they would say, hey, I'm dating somebody. And you'd be like, oh, cool. Who is she? And they'd be like, oh, you don't know her. She, she goes to another school. Like, that was always the way that they would, you know, pretend maybe that they were dating somebody and then you didn't know who they were. They go to another school. It's somebody else. They can't see them here. The, don't worry about it. You don't know them. That's how I feel sometimes when I'm telling people, Jesus resurrected. Awesome. Where is he? Ah, he goes to another school. You can't see him here. You don't know where he's. He's in heaven somewhere. He's not here. I can't see him. I wish. And for the longest time, I wanted to be that person who could just point to Jesus. And I just could not understand why did he have to go away. But Jesus explains it to us here. In, I, this is a mystery that I don't completely understand still. But for some reason, him going away is the thing that then allowed the Spirit to come. And Jesus actually says, this is good, this is better that the Spirit is here than if I were here bodily. And I always had a hard time, like, I was like, okay, he's Jesus, I should just agree with what he says, so I'm just going to go for it. But in here, I could not figure out why is it better that the Spirit is here instead of that Jesus is here bodily. And it actually started to click with me when Jordan shared a... um, a sermon illustration that his dad used to give. I had texted Jordan about the details uh, earlier today, but he couldn't exactly remember the, the exact details. But the general gist of it is that there's a little boy who is um, afraid of a storm. And he's terrified of this storm. And his mom comes to him, and his mom says, Don't worry, God is with you. And the little boy responds, 
that's great and all, but I need somebody with skin on them. <laughs> it's a very, uh, <laughs> it's a very uh, gruesome way to put it. I don't know. It's a very way that a little boy only can. I need somebody with skin on them. But I realized that this is, 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 is the beauty of the Spirit coming instead of Jesus just being in one place. Jesus had skin on him. You could point. You could touch to him. Thomas did that. But he was only in one place at one time right there. When he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit was able to come down. And now there's people with skin on them all over, <laughs> all over the world. The body of Christ is literally spread out everywhere. Suddenly there are people, physical people that you can touch that are the body of Christ, not just in one place, but in churches all over the world celebrating the resurrection of Jesus today. Suddenly there are people with skin on them everywhere. The Spirit is able to minister to so many people in so many different ways. You see, I've been talking a lot about the good news of the gospel, what's good, what's not good. I have a little pop quiz for you. You know, when God created the heavens and the earth, all the Genesis creation stuff, he says it's good. Everything he creates, that's good, that's good, that's good. What's the one thing he says is not good? Do any of you know it? What is it? It's exactly right. Genesis 2.18 is the only thing the Lord says is not good. It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. I grew up always being told that, like, quiet time with God, that was the most important thing. i got to have my quiet time with God. All that matters is just me and God. Adam had just him and God. Like, it literally says that God used to walk through the garden with Adam. Adam and God, they were good. Their relationship was good. Adam had God. But God was like, that's not enough. Isn't that crazy to think about? We always say, all I need is God. All I need is God. It doesn't matter anything else. And God said, he needs somebody with skin on him. <laughs> it can't just be me and God. He needs, it's not good for man to be alone. The Holy Spirit helps to, to kind of make this reality true in just kind of a whole other transcendental way, a way that I, I can't even explain. That word there that's used for a helper you know, suitable for him. We're talking about Eve, talking about uh, marriage in this chapter. It's, it's similar to the word that's used to talk about the Spirit. The Spirit is a helper of us, somebody who comes up alongside us. By the Spirit coming and indwelling so many people everywhere, it suddenly allows people to not be alone. I think that is an amazing truth of the gospel. I really think that the way that the Holy Spirit opens our blindness, opens our eyes, I think lots of times it does happen in this kind of miraculous way where God does it, just you and God. But most of the time, I would say the, grand, I would say the majority of the time, the grand majority of the time, it's still the Spirit doing it, but he's doing it through other people. <laughs> he ministers to you through other people, whether it's a sermon you heard or a Christian you met, or somebody along the way that kind of just uh, helped bring you, uh, helped minister to you through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, opening your eyes, but through somebody else, through another person. 
Wassam said this is ultimately the thing that brought him to the truth, is he finally was able to meet another person that was a Christian. He was in university at the time, and he happened to go to this um, uh, uh, one class, and as he was leaving, he saw a guy that was wearing like a cross necklace, and he told the guy, um, hey, I see the cross, are you a Christian? And the guy said, yeah, I am, I'm a Christian. And he was just like, great. I've been reading all of these books. He had been reading everything of the Bible. He'd been reading it backwards to forward, and he had some questions for him. And he'd been reading Romans. And so he said he asked him at one point, he asked this guy, he said, do you believe that man is saved through their own good works or by the grace of God? And he said, like any good preacher, the guy just did not answer him directly. <laughs> and then took this whole roundabout way, but just really took him through a gospel presentation for the first time, just really showing him all of this, uh, all of the things, ultimately the truth of, of the grace of God and how um, the, the, the forgiveness, the grace of God is the thing that leads to good works. They, it's all connected. It's all, it's all together. And it was this truth that he was finally able to see at the end that's the thing that really connected him, fully brought it all together for him. That's the value and, um, and goodness of the good news of the gospel. But it was through another person. The Holy Spirit worked through that other person. This morning I was running sound at a church that, um, that Jordan runs sound for, a church called Morning Star Holiness Church here in Orange Mound. Jordan's a big fan of Morningstar. I am too. They're really cool people. And it's funny. It's a fun experience. It has been for both of us because Morningstar Holiness Church is a, is a black church. Jordan and I, whenever we're there, we're like the only people there that aren't black in the church. And it's a whole culture shock. It's a very interesting experience to be kind of a part of that. And I'll never forget where that, that culture shock came to a head the most uh, obviously for me. I was up there. I was setting up a microphone, and some people from the church came up to me, and they are asking, so do you do this, like, sound stuff full-time? And I was like, no, it's just something I have to do on the side. As a, um, I'm a pastor, that's, like, my day job, and this is just, like, my tent-making thing that I used to make a little extra money. And they were like, oh, you're a pastor. They're like, why don't you sing something for us? <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, I don't, I don't sing, really. And they're like, you don't sing? How are you going to be a pastor and you don't sing? They, they just, they, were, they laid into me. They were like, you cannot be a pastor and not sing. I can't believe it. How could you even think to call yourself a pastor and you can't sing? And they just, they just laid into me about it. It was this thing over and over again. And I was just like, man, we are in very different worlds because most of the pastors in my life, you do not want to hear them sing. It would not be a great experience. But in their context... The value of music, the beauty of music, the goodness that's brought in those things, that's something that is essential to the pastor. It's something that should be, you know, central to all that they do. And they just couldn't, couldn't imagine that a pastor wouldn't sing. And so this morning when I was there, I was just kind of setting up some other uh, cables and plugging in a few things up on the stage, and there was a Sunday school class going on. And the Sunday school teacher sitting there teaching, and literally, like, mid-sentence, start singing, start singing a song. It was great. I loved it. And it's an old song, a song that many of you would probably know. I'm going to try to sing it. <laughs> Don't judge me too hard, because, again, I'm not a singer. But I think it's beautiful. And it just says, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. 
He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. How do we know that the resurrection is true? Ultimately, he lives within my heart. The Holy Spirit in my heart is the way that we know the truth of the resurrection. The thing I want other people to be able to see, the thing that I've ultimately seen that's going to bring people to the Lord, I think a non-Christian needs to be able to look at our lives, look at me and you, You ask me how I know he lives. I want them to be able to say, he lives within your heart. I can see it. I can see it in you. I know that it's true. I see the beauty. I see the goodness. I see the truth of it. It's a big thing to live up to, but the Spirit of God is there to help us make it a reality. Let's make this our prayer as we leave here today, that the good news of the gospel would be evident in us, the Holy Spirit in us. Non-Christians would be able to look at us and say, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within your heart. Lord, I ask that you would just help make that a reality today. Lord, bring people to you. Help them to see the beauty of the gospel. It is truly good news. It's good news that people can can see. Help us to be the evidence of it, Lord. Please, Lord, work in our lives. Change us. Shape us into the image of your Son so that it would bring people to you. I'm, I don't want to just settle for formulas that would try to bring people to the Lord. I want the beauty, the goodness, and the truth of your gospel to be present in me and of all of my family here with me. That we would draw people to you and that they would be able to see the beauty of this passage. The good news that you started your ministry with Help us to truly live that out. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to end with the time of communion as we always do. We're going to play a song for you guys that just focuses on, on Jesus as the king. That, that middle idea, the goodness of the good news, is connected with the authority of Jesus. And this is something that has made me even more excited as I learn more and more about um, the good news of the gospel. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's not up to human striving. Uh, Noah talked about in one of the chapters on Isaiah that um, there's this, this phrase Jesus says, with man it is impossible. With God all things are possible. I love focusing on the fact that what we are celebrating today is not just the resurrection of Jesus, but that his resurrection is the way he becomes the king, the one who is in charge. My brother's church today, the Avenue, uh, they, they preached on this idea that Jesus in, 
uh, the Great Commission, he talks about all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. He's the king. He's in charge. It's really good news. It's a major aspect of the good news. And so I want you guys to focus on that today. As we get uh, into this time of communion, um, whenever you feel ready, you can go back. We've got uh, the cup and the bread back here, the body and the blood of Christ that's broken for us. But don't use it as a time just to feel bad about what you've done. Use it as a time to celebrate the good news that today represents. Jesus is king. All authority is given to him. He's given us his spirit. He can do the things that he has promised to do. Let's leave behind some of our doubts, some of our uh, questioning of whether God is actually going to do what he says he's going to do. And let's just look at the example we've seen throughout all the scriptures. The king can do the thing that he said he's going to do. So as we sing this song about that, pray, meditate on that, and whenever you feel ready, you can go back and participate.